I suspect I'm going to say a couple of controversial things today, so I'm just going to get one out in the open right to begin with. We have sort of a youth movement in the choir right now. I don't know if you noticed that. Very nice. Very nice. I mean, we love our older folks too, but um, it's great. Second thing, this is not controversial. Um, so just as we prepare, uh, the session, and I meant to announce this in our announcements, but uh, they have agreed that this is something that we need, and so this is for your benefit. There will be an elder in the back, as there always is, but there will also be one uh, here at the front at the end of the service. Um, if you have need of prayer, uh, if you have a prayer request, if you feel the Lord moving in your heart, uh, if you see somebody to talk to, uh, they're there for that reason, and I want to encourage you uh, to use them for that reason, okay? So, with all of that in mind, let's turn... One last time to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 24. Now, on the way here, Sam rode with me, and he said, what you ought to do is you ought to say, we're going to look at Luke one last time, psych, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. I said, no, we can't do that. I said, that would be bad. Um, so we're not going to do that. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, and this will conclude our study in this book. And though I know it has been a long and winding journey to get here, uh, I pray that it has been a help to you, uh, and that more importantly than that, it has drawn us closer to our Savior, the one that we have encountered here in these pages. Now, uh, as we conclude, there is one last final major scene that we need to see, one last thing left to play out. And so let's read these verses together, beginning in verse 44. It says, Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, your word is living and active. Father, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray this morning that it, through the work of your spirit, might lay us bare, exposing the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts, and that it might lead us to our ascended, reigning Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord, we ask it in His name and for Your glory. Amen. Well, it is uh, often, well, it often seems that a person's final words, uh, whether it be the ones that they give before they leave the house, or whether it be the ones that they give before they take their final breath, those final words, uh, they have a significance. They have a meaning that seems to endure far longer uh, they may be normal in everyday speech would. This is particularly true in literature. You, you read of people's final words very often. Um, 
But for instance, at the Super Bowl party, week before last, several of us were discussing uh, Christian martyrs. Uh, and if you know, if you've read any literature on Christian martyrs, usually, I'm sure they had many wonderful things to say in their lives. Many of those words are recorded. But the thing that they are usually most known for are their final words. Words like, bring on the fire that will soon consume them, or unleash the wild beast that will soon eat them, right? Right? Uh, These words of bravery, of great strength before certain death. That's the things that usually stand. On a much lighter note, men, all of us understand that if our wives tell us to do something before they leave the house, that unless we want to be a martyr of a different sort, we better do those things, right? Words have authority. Final words are important. Even important enough... In some instances, to direct and to shape the course of our lives. And that's certainly true as we come to these words of Jesus here in Luke chapter 24. Now, to be sure, we all recognize that these are not truly Jesus's final words to his people or even to these disciples. Luke is going to go on and write the book of Acts where Jesus will speak to Peter in a vision where he will appear to Paul on the road to Damascus. Later, he will appear to John in the book of Revelation. And so Jesus is not done speaking here. Honestly, if we believe in what we, what we claim to believe about Scripture, then we say all of this is Jesus still speaking to us, right? But uh, even though these words don't have the finality to them of the examples that we've already given. They do have a finality of sorts. They mark the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. And as such, they sort of bring us, bring this book, bring the things that he has done in redemptive history up until this point, sort of bring them all to a close. So as we'll see, Jesus is about to ascend to his father. And so things for his people, they will soon change in significant ways. And so it's important as those of us who still stand in the wake of that, that ascension, uh, for us to recognize what Jesus says to us here. Uh, And he he gives us two major things. Overall, he's going to give us a mission. He's going to give us final words that send us out. But as he does that, he shows us what we are to go out with. What's the message that we go out with? He gives that to us here. He shows us a little bit about our call, what exactly that call looks like. And then finally, he's going to show us the power, the authority that we need to go out and to make any difference in the world at all. This is a final, enduring mission. So let's look at it together. First thing I want you to notice in this passage is the mission's message. I'll say that 10 times real fast. The mission's message. It'll get you tripped up. Um, If if all we had was Luke's gospel to go by, uh, then as we turn to this passage before today, it would seem that all of these things that have happened in chapter 24 have the ascension from the empty tomb to the ascension, that all of it happened roughly in a 24 hour period, Uh, that it all happened on that first Easter day. And much of what Luke has recorded for us 
did happen there. But we know from other biblical accounts, we know that actually from Luke himself in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, that all of this occurred over a 40-day period. That Jesus was resurrected, that he was with his disciples for 40 days. And so when we turn to verses 44 through 49, we see Jesus preach this, this great sermon It could be just a summary of what he taught over the course of those 40 days, right? It could be that they are just summarizing Lucius for us, the message that the resurrected Lord brought to his people. It could be that this is an actual sermon that Jesus preached to them. And I think the answer to us is yes. I think it's probably both of those things. I think it's a specific sermon that summarized all that Jesus said, but... What it actually is, I said all of that to say this, is that it is a message of final things. It is a message that that Jesus is trying to push across to his disciples, the things that they really need to grasp. And it's from that message that we recognize the message of our mission, the, the message that we must take out. And there's three things I want you to notice about the sermon that Jesus preaches here, okay? So this is, I didn't get our sheets printed out today, I'm sorry, but this is point one, sub point one here, okay? Notice the message that Jesus preaches here is based in the word. It's based in the word, verses 44 through 45. It says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, and here's that, that little saying again that we've seen over and over again, In chapter 24, things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So the whole Old Testament, every bit of it, all of it must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, friends, I recognize that that our last month or so, we we have in the last month. So we have uh, harped on this point. We've hammered it home over and over and over again, but it's one we cannot overemphasize enough. All Jesus did, the whole of his work, the whole course of his life and ministry was in fulfillment of Scripture. In other words, all that happened All that he had done, none of it happened by chance. None of it was random. None of it happened as a last second effort by God to set things right. You know, almost like he's up there kind of wringing his hands. And now he says, well, I guess I better do this. I guess I better send my son if I'm going to save these people. No, this was his plan from the very beginning. All of it happened according to the predetermined plan of God, a plan set forth now for us in the pages of Scripture. Again, from Moses to the prophets and the Psalms, all of it is revealing God's purposes. It's all the message. It's all biblical. And that's really important. Because as we consider the content of the message that we are going to take out, where do we begin? We begin in the pages of Scripture. 
We do not begin with our opinions. We do not begin with self-help, with mantras, with good vibes. We don't even primarily go out with the apologetic method that is so popular for many folks today. So apologetics is defending our faith, right? And many people today go out and they try to go on neutral ground. They try to meet people on neutral ground. Friends, as believers, we can't do that. We have no neutral ground. Our ground has been declared by Jesus. It is the ground of the only true and living God. We go out with the Word. This book contains the plan of God, which as Jesus says, must be fulfilled. And that's what people need to hear. They don't need to hear my opinions. They don't need to hear what I think. They need to hear what God has to say to them. Our message must be biblical. Secondly, Jesus here notes, note that his message is Christ-centered. It's biblical, but it also proclaims himself. The whole Bible is about God's plan, and that whole plan is about Jesus. Verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Where did Jesus get that? From all of Scripture. From the whole Old Testament. His suffering, His crucifixion, His atoning death, His glorious resurrection, His ascension today. All of it is in the pages. That, that's, that's what we go out. Jesus taught His disciples. He opened their minds to recognize that Scripture is about Him. Again, friends, this is important. When we go out, who do we proclaim? We take the Bible. We take God's Word. We proclaim Jesus. We don't go out in our own wisdom. We don't go out and address good issues, but issues that people seem to be so concerned about. Issues like equity and peace. and we don't, we don't primarily address those issues. What we address is their need for a Savior. And if they have a Savior, equity and peace and justice will take care of itself. Because He will take care of it, right? What people's hearts need is to be reconciled to God. And how can they have that reconciliation? Only in Christ Jesus. And so we declare to them the reality of what Jesus has done from all the pages of Scripture. And then thirdly, notice Jesus' message leads to, it calls people to repentance. To, to cry out for forgiveness of their sins. To turn from their sins and look to the only one who can save them. One example will be plenty to, to get our point here and we'll move on. You remember in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up. We're going to come back to Acts chapter 2 in a little bit. But Peter stands up to preach, right? And he preaches this sermon. And what's the content of that sermon? First, it's biblical, Right? He goes to the Old Testament and he shows them how all of redemptive history has led to this point. All of Israel's history has led to this point. Secondly, it's Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus. 
And he says to them, this Jesus, whom you crucified, according to the foreknowledge and definite plan of God. And they say, what do we do? And what does Peter say to them? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. Our message leads people. We call people to repentance. That begins with us, begins with our own hearts. But we call people to turn from their sins, to look to Jesus. So it's the word we take out, it's Christ we declare, and it's repentance that we call people to. It's the message of our mission. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice the mission's call. And it's the second half of verse 47 into verse 48. And honestly, it would seem that we probably should have started here And we could have done that, but it would have messed up the flow of the text, so I didn't do that. Uh, But we've already discussed the the call in our first point sort of over and over and over again. Um, But I want you to notice two things about the call here, okay? Uh, The first one, notice that the call is an active call. What are we to do? We are to proclaim, right? Uh, In Matthew 28, at the top of your bulletin, Jesus there says, go and make disciples, right? Go. It's an active call. Now, I want to be careful here, particularly with Matthew 28, because there is much debate about that passage, particularly on this point. As it is normally translated, we often get the sense that going involves leaving. Going to another country, doing something different. And maybe it does involve that. We don't want to minimize that in any way. That is missions on the grand scale, as Mr. Rodney shows us and Bradley has today. So to be sure, that's in view here. But others have suggested, due to participles and imperatives and Greek grammar, that maybe that verse would be better translated, as you are going. And the idea would be that wherever you go, kind of a Deuteronomy 6 issue, right? As you walk along the road, as you go to your home, wherever you are, we are to be taking the mission out with us. Now, that's true, too. Both of those things. I think, again, the answer here is yes. We have to support and we have to send people to foreign nations. But what's our call for all of us who are still here right now? Do we kick our feet up and say, well, I'm glad they're taking care of that in China or wherever? No. It's a call to us as the church, as the local body here, even now. We are to go out with the Word. We all have that obligation, whether it's at work or whether it's in our home, as Ben said. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give an account of the hope that is in you. That is a missions call. Be ready to tell people about what Jesus has done for you. Also notice about the call here. Not only it's it's also a universal call. It's an all encompassing call. Who are we to go to? The nations. There's so much to say here. Maybe Sam was right. Maybe we should have extended Luke out for a little while, but we're not going to do that. So much to say here, and we don't have time to do it right now. 
But it's worth noting that the fulfillment of this part, that, that this part is fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. In the Old Testament, nations came to Israel to see God's glory. But in a passage like Psalm 98 two, we see that eventually the word, the message would go out to the Gentiles, that it would go out to all the nations, that all nations would see God's glory. Here, Jesus is fulfilling that. No longer do people just come to us, but we go out. So that in the book of Revelation, who is it that stands before the throne of God to worship Him? It is people from every tongue, and tribe and nation. They all bow before the king. And so our call is to go to Pakistan and to Turkey and to China and to South America and to Africa and to France and to the U.S. and to our homes and to our workplaces. It is to go with the good news that is for everyone. You know, often children's songs are simple, but they get it right. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. We need to take that to heart. We need to go out with that message. It's precious because it's a message that's for you and I. Friends, let me me say this to you. If you think heaven, you know, last week I asked you, what do you think heaven's going to be like? If you think that heaven is going to be just this homogeneous blob of humanity that we're all going to look alike and we're all going to talk alike and we're all going to say the same things that we're exclusively going to sing songs from the Trinity hymnal or from the Bible songs, even though those are the songs, so we will sing those and we'll sing songs from the Trinity. But if you think that's all we're going to do, then you're going to be in for a rude awakening because praise him, our brothers from China are going to be there and from Iran, and from Africa, and from all different cultures. They're going to be there with their cultural perspectives, redeemed cultural perspectives to be, tr- to be sure, but they're all going to be there. And all of it will serve to glorify our great King. Thank God it's going to be that way. It won't just be me all the time with my own thoughts and my own songs. There'll be variety. There'll be People from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping the King. That's a reason to say amen. I'm not going to ask you to do that, but that's a reason to say it. So, our call uh, is one to go out. It's an active call. To go out with foreign missions. To go out in our local places and to proclaim to all people, all nations. The truth of what Jesus has done. So we've seen the, the mission's message. We've seen the mission's call. And then thirdly and finally, I want you to notice that the mission's power. Mission's power. Um, now you read a passage like this. We say all of these great things about missions. But if we're honest, uh, we have to stop and say, am I able to do this? <laughs> um, am I equipped to do this? That's often the question that we have when we come to missions, Right. When we think about sharing our faith, am I, am I equipped to do something like this? Am I sufficient for these things? Let me put your mind at ease. 
You are not. I'm not in. The, the truth is, is if we go out in and of ourselves, if I go out in myself, if I go out in my own strength, then friends, we will fail. Because none of us, not a single one of us, can change a human heart. We can't even change our own hearts. Paul recognized this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 16. He says, who is sufficient for these things? Jesus recognizes it as well here. And so rather than leaving us in our own strength, rather than just asking us to just figure it out, he leaves us with two great hopes as we consider the mission's power. The first one is there in verse 49. It says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. Who is that? That is the Holy Spirit, a helper, a comforter. It is Christ's spirit who is the only one who can change human hearts. Again, Acts 2. We, we talked about this in our um, my class at Megalife this week with the little girls. And, and actually, Cal was in there today. So we have a, a boy present so that, that day. So that's good. It's not just girls. It's, I have somebody I can associate with. Um, but it was Acts chapter 2. And you remember the, the disciples are in the upper room and they're just trying to figure out what in the world they're going to do. And then all of a sudden, there is those tongues of fire, right? They're, they're in the book that I was using, they had little flames above their heads. If that's an accurate depiction, I suspect that it's not. But that was the description that Luke gave us, right? What happened then? No longer were these men uh, scared, uh, kind of wimpy, cowering disciples any longer. Instead, Peter stands up and he preaches and 3,000 people come to faith. What about Acts chapter 4? You remember uh, Peter and John have healed the lame man and the the, uh, Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. They want to know how they've done this. And they bring them before the judges. And they say, you have to denounce Jesus, basically. And Peter, this one who had just denied Jesus not that long ago... He stands up and he says, men, if you want to know how this man, this man was healed, I'll tell you, it was by the work of Jesus. If you want us to denounce him, we can't do it. Now, what's happened to Peter? The Holy Spirit has happened to Peter. The power of God now resides in him. The Holy Spirit is at work in his life through Peter. And friends, that same Holy Spirit is still alive and working in you and I today. It's the same Holy Spirit. Now, does He always work in the same way that He did then? No. But He is still the same Spirit. The same power is alive. And I hope you listen to the stories that Rodney and others tell when they get up here. Tales of people seeing a Savior in the rubble of a great earthquake. Tales of Pakistan where there are more ARPs there than there are in the United States. Tales of what God is doing in these places where we would say, God, how? How are you doing? How is 
It's not human strength. This is not human wisdom. This is the Holy Spirit pleased to move, pleased to work in the lives of these that God has called. He, the Holy Spirit, is the source of our power as we go out. But notice finally that He is not the only source of our power. We have one last thing to to see here. We have an ascended, reigning Savior. Verse 50, Jesus blesses the disciples. And then in verse 51, He ascends into heaven. Now I would submit to you that this is an aspect of Christ's work, of His glorification that we don't spend nearly enough time on, that we don't consider nearly enough. Okay, Because if we had our minds and our hearts wrapped around this truth that Jesus reigns, our lives would be a lot less stressful. They would be a lot more uh, directed, a lot more pointed. There's several things. I'm just going to list these. We're not going to talk about it. I'm just going to list them. Several implications of the, the ascension. Because Jesus is ascended, we have forgiveness of sins. He is our advocate, pleading our case. We have the answer to our prayers because He intercedes on our behalf at God's right hand. We know that God is closer to us. Christ is closer to us than He has ever been. Even in Luke 24 when He was physically present. Because now the Holy Spirit lives within us. We have the promise, the assurance of our own exaltation here because He is our forerunner, preparing the way for us. And we have the guarantee of the effectiveness of our evangelism, the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And finally, finally, we have one last thing to add to that list. Because Jesus is ascended, we have solid hope for today. Solid hope for right now. We say it in the Apostles' Creed. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus reigns and the Father is subjecting all things to the rule of the Son. All things are being placed under His feet. The ascension is the guarantee that that is true. That that will happen. Our Savior, our Advocate, our Victor is at God's right hand praying for you, praying for me. When my prayers don't seem like they're getting past the ceiling, when I don't know how to pray, when all I can do is cry out, He takes those prayers and He he presents them to the Father. He makes them worthy to go before God. Advocates for the forgiveness of our sins. Because that's who is seated there. That's who has your best interest at heart. And that's who will reign forever and ever. That's the power. That's the power of the Christian life. That's the power of the mission that is before us. The Holy Spirit is alive in our hearts. And our Savior reigns. And He will not be moved. Come, should the earth fall into the heart of the sea, he will not be moved. 
So we have this final enduring mission to go out, to go out and to take the gospel with us, to to present it to every tongue, tribe and nation. And we pray that through God's power, uh, it would lead to repentance. It would lead to many bowing and declaring the truth of who King Jesus is. And so there we are. The end of Luke's gospel, uh, the end of some two and a half years. And I've been thinking this week how we might sum all this up in a nice way or how we might put a bow on it. Uh, And I think the way to do it is to simply follow the disciples witness here in verses 52 and 53. Like them, we have seen Jesus's life unfold before us. We have seen his incarnation. We have seen His grace and mercy towards sinners like us. We've seen His crucifixion, His death, His burial, His glorious resurrection. And now we have seen His ascension. What should we do? We'll see verse 52. And they worshipped Him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God together. Friends, if we take nothing else away from this, let's take that away. What's our call here? Let's go and let's worship our King. Let's with joy bless this one who has given himself for us as we pray together. Father, we do rejoice in your word to us. We rejoice in your love, your work through Christ that you have shown to us. Uh, And Father, we pray that as we try to put all of that in perspective, uh, that you would make us a worshiping people. Lord, that is uh, the the only obvious response to all of these things is to bow down and to glorify you. And yet, Lord, you also have given us this great call to go out into the world. And part of that is with our worship. People see us here this morning praising our God, praising our Savior. And that is our uh, declaration to a lost world that he is worthy and that he is the only one who can save. And so, Lord, we pray that that we would take that out, not only in our worship, but in all of our lives, whether that may be a call for us to go to another town, another nation, uh, somewhere else. If that's what you have placed on our hearts, Lord, give us the courage to do that. Uh, But for each of us, wherever you have placed us, whatever job you have given us, whatever role in life you have given us, Lord, that's the call that you have placed on us right now. And that call involves missions taking the truth of the gospel out. And so, Lord, help us to do that. We are insufficient in and of ourselves. And so we look to you and we rest in you for you to do what you have said you would do, that your word would not come back void, that you would change hearts, change lives. We rejoice in that truth. And we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.